Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Christine Pachenik. Today, we're going to go into a discussion on virtual power plants, or VPPs. They have emerged as a potential solution to the evolving energy landscape and the challenges faced by traditional utilities. As the demand for clean energy and decentralized energy grows, VPPs offer a new method of power generation, distribution, and management. By integrating diverse energy resources, such as battery storage systems, solar panels, and demand response capabilities, VPPs enable the aggregation of these distributed assets into a single, flexible, virtual power plant. So what could the potential impact of VPPs be on utilities? Just how significant could the impact be? Here to discuss the topic with me and provide some cooperative insights are Cyril Brunner, Vermont Electric Cooperative. He is the innovation and technology leader there. Welcome, Cyril. Hi. Also joining me today is a CFC expert, Jan Allen. I'm going to pose just a kind of general utility overview question here. Either of you can jump in on it, but Jan, you might be a great one to tackle this. What are some of the changes that utility providers are experiencing that have recently spotlighted this discussion on VPPs? That's a great question to kick things off. So a couple things. Number one is that electric cooperatives, other utilities are seeing pretty fast retirements of fossil fuel plants at the exact same time as we're seeing really fast adoption of renewable energy. And this is only likely to to speed up. At the same time, we're also seeing rapid adoption of new technologies by consumers. So in 2022, Deloitte found that on average, U.S. households have about 22 connected devices in their home. Uh, This was up from 11 in 2019. So pretty big increase there. We are likely to see more and more consumers adopting new technologies, Uh, technologies like electric vehicles, smart thermostats, battery storage, and other connected devices. And these are devices that that utilities like electric cooperatives can actually use to to improve reliability, affordability, uh, and provide new service to their members. All right, Cyril, is that some of what you're seeing currently at your cooperative? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe just to give some specific examples for VC in particular, we've definitely seen this rapid growth in distributed generation, and it's very much impacting our infrastructure. You know, we have we have over 50 megawatts of distributed generation on the system, and we have an 80 megawatt peak. Um, so almost all of that DG is during the day, and that 80 megawatt peak is is typically after the sun goes down. So that, that in and of itself is creating some pretty big challenges. Our electric vehicle sales are doubling, which is, you know, we're seeing that kind of ramp begin. We only have around 250 on the system, but that's been a doubling every year. So that's going to pick up pretty quick. And 10% of our members have installed heat pumps. So just talking about like significant loads and, and things that we need to manage and make sure it can connect. That's that's definitely something that we're so seeing. So it sounds like you're embracing this concept a bit um, at your co-op. Do you think cooperatives in general should be embracing virtual power plants? Does it drive the energy transition, sustainability, resilience, customer satisfaction, or do you see it as potentially being a risk to traditional utilities? It's a great question. I think it really does depend on the co-op. We always say this in co-op country that when you've seen one co-op, you've seen one co-op. It really is true. Um, and <laughs> even within the membership base, there are going to be uh, pretty big, pretty big differences across the country. So. I think the first step really is to understand 
what your members want and where they're going. Uh, seeing where there's a connection there between how can how can a co-op improve service, reliability, affordability, safety, and how can we add value to our to our membership? So it really does depend. I do see a pretty big opportunity going into the future. It doesn't mean that every single co-op needs to go down this route. We have seen to date a handful of co-ops looking into the concept of virtual power plants. So aggregating consumer devices like distributed generation, smart thermostats, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, co-ops do have a long history of, of doing just this. Co-ops have been aggregating water heaters for decades for demand response. And the concept of the virtual power plant is really the logical next step in that technology evolution. And that next step is being taken a bit by Vermont Electric. And you're currently what we would say is the the leading edge of it. Can you give me kind of why? I know you went through some of those, what you're seeing at your co-op, but what really was the catalyst for you starting to implement some elements of this? Well, first off, thank you for the compliment. Leading edge is, <laughs> we, we like to call it much more a role of close <laughs> follower. And generally, that that means you know we we uh, look at programs that have been developed by the IOUs and 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 make those sized appropriately to what the co-ops can do in, in our kind of scale. For us, really, it comes down to infrastructure. We're seeing this pretty significant rise, as I mentioned, of of various DERs. The fact of the matter is, there's just no way we're going to be able to upgrade the infrastructure in time, and and we just don't have the dollars to do so. So really, the best way to do that is to manage these devices and manage the the loads that are getting added. For us, we also see a pretty significant opportunity to partner with our members in new programs, ways to save them money. You know, the energy transition, as much as it is an opportunity to decrease carbon, is also an opportunity to decrease the overall energy burdens that our members are facing. Um, between electric vehicles and heat pumps with the price of oil and propane this winter in, the, in New England rising pretty rapidly. We had several of our employees and, and, and members shift to heat pumps almost exclusively for heating, which is, which is something that hasn't been done. And that's just a big opportunity for us. So that's what we're trying to focus on. And can you give me a little bit of background on Vermont Electric? I know uh, it has some unique characteristics, as Jan mentioned, as all co-ops do. But what were some of the ones that just kind of have set this up for your cooperative uh, where you've pushed the go button? Yeah, so super high level, we have we have uh, 33,000 meters members, around 43,000 meters. We're in northern Vermont, basically from the Canadian border down across New, New York and New Hampshire, pretty rural. And I think what's most unique probably is that we don't have a GNT. We actually, the Vermont distribution utilities own the transmission operator, Velco, which means that we're able to realize transmission savings directly. We don't own any generation. We do a lot through PPA, uh, but several of the Vermont distribution utilities do own generation. That is something that we could pursue. And then I would say, additionally, we are regulated, which you know isn't the case everywhere. With that, you know, comes some administration, of course, and 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 following uh, regulation, but also gives us some opportunity. Vermont has this tier program, which is a regulatory requirement to reduce carbon in the generation, heating, and transportation sectors. And that enables us some flexibility as it relates to incentives that we offer and dollars that are basically flowing from from VC to its members directly outside of the traditional kind of electric utility roles. All right. And with all that, what interesting projects are you working on? 
Yeah, so I think really for us, uh, this EV space, looking at infrastructure and looking at loads coming onto the system is one that we're really trying to focus on. So what we're really trying to do is set up our members for, for EV success. What we do is we have a free level two charger program that comes with a flex load management bill credit, basically to incentivize folks to not charge during the hours of 4 to 9 p.m. It's not a rate. It's a direct bill credit that goes in their account if they don't charge during those times. We do a free distribution transformer upgrade. At the same time, we don't want folks getting saddled with a large cost of a distribution upgrade after they've just purchased an EV. And then we also have additional EV and PHE plug-in hybrid electric vehicle incentives as well. And so that kind of like suite of, of tools is what we're trying to do to ensure that folks are able to transition over to electric vehicles in a, in a cost-effective manner without big grid impacts. We're also doing a bring your own battery program. So we don't actually lease out any batteries, kind of like what Green Mountain Power and maybe some other cooperatives do across the country. Ours are very much in, uh, purchased by our members and, and we provide them a monthly bill credit. It's typically around $30 to use those batteries during the times of the year, uh, the 12 uh, Vermont peaks and the once per year ISO New England peak because we recognize those costs directly, right? So we can therefore use that as an incentive. And then I would say last is, uh, you know, we're, we're entering our next phase of AMI. We initially put in AMI back in 2004, and that system has served us really well. It's paid for itself and significantly reduced cost on metering expenses. But what we see for AMI and just data in general is a very important catalyst to enabling us to manage all these virtual power plants and these DRs that are out there. We need visibility. We need insight as to what the impacts of dispatching these resources are. And the AMI system is a, is a huge uh, boon for us in that area. So we're um, trying to find a way for how we can get data quicker in a cost-effective manner and also leverage that data. We actually recently worked with a company, uh, Kilowatt, who uh, leveraged our AMI data to try and analyze um, heat pump impacts and, and forecast future load growth. So really that data analytics space is becoming incredibly important. So a lot going on. And tell me, that integrates that there's a lot of technology there. And your DERMS platform has to be an incredibly important tool for you in how you're managing these different programs, correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's that single pane of glass. That's that kind of uh, operational visibility that enables us to see that across the company. So we currently have several existing platforms that are fairly cumbersome to manage. Uh, it takes lots of different people and lots of different windows. Uh, and we're transitioning over to Camus, who's our DERMS provider. And they provide us with a platform that gives us that operational visibility, integrates all those data systems, AMI, GIS, all these DRs, allows us to orchestrate those devices, the things like inverters, EVs, batteries that we have today, and then also performs those analytics. And so that's really the fundamental tool that is going to be used across the company, you know, breaking down silos across these barriers to make that a reality. Is there kind of an end goal or vision as you look at all of these things in, in a full scope, I should say? Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to our members. And I mean, our mission statement is always something that's the foundational piece for what we focus on. And that's safe, affordable and reliable energy services to our members. So, you know, our goal is absolutely to leverage these assets to significantly reduce impacts to infrastructure, reduce transmission costs, right? That's that affordability realm. And then we're also hopeful to leverage things like batteries and, you know, early days, but vehicle to grid EVs to increase resiliency um, and, and, and reduce what we're seeing as pretty significant outage impacts coming with, with climate change and increasing in uh, major weather events. So all back to the member benefit. Absolutely. Jan, I'm going to jump back to something that Cyril said earlier, and he mentioned that he does not have a GNT. 
Can you give some perspective of what an integration would look like for a co-op that would have a GNT potentially? Sure. So the vast majority of uh, of distribution co-ops do have do have a GNT. Obviously, GNTs were formed because of the inherent economies of scope, economies of scale that they can bring to their distribution co-op members. So that's really the the main advantage that that a GNT would have within this space is that they do have uh, the economies of scope, economies of scale. They're able to look across all of their distribution co-op members and integrate new technologies in a way that works for the entire system as a whole. As I mentioned before, GNTs do have a lot of experience in this area with water heaters or their devices. So this really is kind of the, the, the logical next step. And we've already seen several GNTs kind of step into this area. Co-ops like Central Electric in South Carolina, uh, Old Dominion Electric in, in, in Virginia, Wabash Valley, North Carolina EMC, you name them. They're moving into this area pretty pretty aggressively because they do see the value that some of these consumer devices and, and other uh, distributed resources can have for the for the system. So at a time where the industry as a whole is moving towards decarbonization, towards retiring some some um, uh, fossil fuel assets, and perhaps having some uh, reliability challenges, these devices can have a role in, in improving affordability, reliability, and even you know providing new value for members that want to participate. Excellent. Now, as critical pieces of infrastructure or technology develop or mature, what do you see specifically that needs to mature for VPPs to be brought to more of the utility sector? So a couple couple pieces there on the technology front. So software and hardware. Uh, you know, software like Derm's pr- platforms that can integrate all these devices and do so in a cost-effective manner. I think that's that's kind of the key point there. Technology that works and is also cost-effective. Um, of course, the other key piece here is how do you communicate between the co-op and all these end-use devices, right? So there needs to be a way for the communication to happen. Um, co-ops, of course, are leaning in to broadband building out fiber um, at their substations and even to to the home. Um, so these kind of investments, uh, depending on the situation, can be really, really critical uh, in terms of communication between the co-op and those end devices. Cyril, are there any pain points that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think Jan nailed it on the head. You know, the th- example I always use is that, you know, I-, I can talk to my new fridge that I purchased, but I can't talk to my heat pump. It's just early days still, it seems, in the in the manufacture of these devices spaces. EVs are the same, right? I mean, I think OEMs, they're all coming out with their own charger. There's a big push into telematics in that space and, and talking to the actual electric vehicles themselves. And it's just a challenge right now to, as a small co-op to do that in a cost-effective manner, in a manner that, you know, doesn't over-resource what is, what is a very complicated space and, and ever-evolving space. I mean, I feel like every week there's some sort of new technology, new vendor that's in the space, and how do you navigate that with without taking on too much risk? Can you give us a quick glimpse of what you might see for your co-op in the next five years? Yeah, so I mean, I think integrating all of these elements into a common platform is huge for us. What we really keep talking about is breaking down silos internally in the organization, and those silos existed for a reason for many years at VC and you know have a, have a good place, but what we found is that all these programs were doing 
involve engineering, they involve operations, they involve power supply, they involve member services. And what we really need are folks who kind of have that perspective across the board. Uh, so for us, that's, that's a huge focus. We definitely have a lot of pilots out there. And for us, finding ways to scale those pro pilots into programs, the programs that we do have, how to make those larger, how to do that, you know, from an administration standpoint, I'll give the example of, you know, we have 200 EV chargers, roughly 150 of which we're talking to and a bunch of batteries. And it's, it's time consuming from an administration standpoint to check and make sure those devices are online. Are they performing adequately? Um, how do we enroll new folks in that program? And that's being done by our power supply group. And what we're really finding is that, you know, that's, that's challenging right now with the limited number of devices. What happens if we have 50,000 out there? How are we gonna make that a reality? And I think lastly, you know, additional markets. Right now we're very focused on the market of, uh, and the cost savings we realize from peak shaving. And I anticipate that there's going to be additional markets, whether that's, you know, trying to find ways to uh, leverage this uh, high solar output during the middle of the day with loads and incentivizing charging at specific times, not just for peaks. And then additionally, I think infrastructure wise, there will be a time when, you know, these programs do have a value in reducing large scale infrastructure upgrades. And how do we pass those savings and pass those costs on to our members is something that we're really trying to do to engage them in the program and to make that a reality. It sounds like you're going to be very busy the next five years. <laughs> definitely. No, and I definitely, definitely agree. I think the first comment about the integration and the silos, I've been hearing more and more of that as I've been speaking with data analytics experts, that that is an important key in making sure that data is where it needs to be and that the understanding of how it's moving across your systems so I appreciate you bringing all those insights. Do you have any specific piece of advice for a co-op leader who's kind of in your position or uh, co-op leaders, whether they're in the CEO, CFO, looking to potentially say, hey, we might be in a situation where we sound similar or we might see the benefit for our members as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say the most key one and, and is really leveraging the cooperative network. You know, I, I love this industry. We just chatted last week with Don Bowman at Wake EMC and his grandfather was like one of the founders of VEC. His father worked at VEC and it's just like so cool, right? I mean, the people you meet and, and everyone's so open to sharing and, and, and sharing what they've learned and, and moving that out. I mean, there's just so much to learn from folks such as CFC and NRECA and other co-ops in the space. And and generally what I found is everyone's super eager to share and, and do that. And I think that's great. So definitely that's hard to do, of course. There's a lot of co-ops out there. There's a lot of information, but deciphering that as best as possible is helpful. Um, one thing that we've learned is, you know, we definitely use the, the fail fast. I guess we would more call it learn fast model. We had a hot water heater program that we launched and, and learned very quickly that, you know, devices in people's homes is tough post installation of that device. Um, there's definitely ways to do it. But what we found with our membership was just incentives weren't good enough to, to do those sort of things. So we've really tried to focus at the time of installation to make sure that, you know, whether it's an EV charger, whether it's a heat pump that we have those controls and, and management tools figured out. And then, you know, for us organizationally, we've looked a lot at how we can manage both traditional business poles and wires and also this energy transition. And, you know, I would highly recommend focusing staff in that space. For us right now, we have like two and a half FTs there. That's going to continue to grow as we continue down this route. And that's tough. You know, we're, we're all financially 
trying to make this all work. And so it's not like we can just add bodies, but having focus in those areas, we've moved traditionally from folks who have multiple roles, multiple focuses to kind of focusing them hundred percent on this energy transition and those sorts of tasks is, is yielded a lot of benefits for us and allows us to kind of do a lot of experiments and be great able. insights. Jan, thanks for joining. I don't know if the, you have any final words. Yeah. You know, I think a couple of things, co-ops have always been really close to their members. That's just part of the co-op model, uh, been active participants in the community, been leaders in the community and have understood their members. I think that's just a, a very key part of this whole discussion is understanding what your members want, what their motivations are. I think a key a key open question that we'll probably see answered here in the next next few years is will consumers actually want to participate in in a virtual power plant? And what incentives are they going to respond to? What is actually going to motivate them to enroll their EV charger or their smart thermostat into a, a co-op program? So it's going to be exciting times here in the next few years. Excellent. Well, hopefully you'll join us for more conversations and hopefully Sorrel will get to check back with you on what's going on at Vermont Electric as you continue through your pilot programs and uh, you learn more as well. So thank you both for sharing your knowledge and insights with us today. Be sure to listen to more episodes of CFC Solutions Cast on your favorite podcast app and check out www.nrucfc.coop solutions for more cooperative news.